A Series of Dots, a podcast that discusses all things flash fiction with the people that write it from Ellipsis Scene. Hi everybody, I'm Steve Campbell, editor of Ellipsis Scene, and you're listening to the latest episode of A Series of Dots. Today I'm going to be talking to writer Gaynor Jones about flash fiction competitions. Gaynor will be showcasing two pieces that she recently selected as competition winners, and she will also be reading one of her own. Gainer is the recipient of the 2020 Northern Writers Award from New Writers North for her short story collection, Girls Who Get Taken. She has won first prize in several short fiction competitions, including the Bath Flash Fiction Prize and the Martian Crawford Short Story Award, and has placed or been listed in others, including Bridgeport Prize and Aesthetica. Her novella in Flash, Among These Animals, was published by Lipsis in 2020, and shortlisted for the best novella at the Saboteur Awards. She loves stories that feature wayward teens, middle-aged women that have had enough, and the darker sides of suburban life. She's working on her first novel and is represented by Laura Williams at Green and Heaton. You can find out more about Gaynor on her website, jonesywriter.com. Welcome to the podcast, Gaynor, and thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. No problem. So judging by your own success with competitions, I assume that you valid these as part of your writing life. Yeah, definitely. I don't enter as much anymore just because I don't write flash fiction very much because the novel's taken up all my time. But I have actually just entered two for the first time in ages. I've entered the Mislexia one and the Bath one, which I always said I would never try and go for Bath again. But because a friend of mine is judging it, I was a bit curious okay. <laughs> to see if I did get through. So um, why did you want to do it again? This is going to sound really arrogant, but like, because I've won it. And then I was like, okay. feels a bit cheeky to try and win it again. Um, <laughs> I've always had this thing of like, should you keep trying to win mm. a competition if you've already won it? Are people going to think that's strange? But because I love Emily Devane's writing so much, I thought, ah, I'll, I'll give it a crack while Emily's judging. I've got probably zero chance of getting through to the point where she'll read it. It just intrigued me a little bit because I'm such a fan of her writing. I used to enter a lot more because I just used to write a lot more flash. And I also have to look at things like cost because I've entered and failed so many that that bill is like backing up behind me. And yeah. I, because I tend to enter short story competitions and they're a lot more expensive. So like there's less room in my flash purse, if you like. So do you get um, enticed by judges then? For me, that's the main thing. If I'm looking at a competition, even though I understand there's probably like a small chance of the judge actually getting it, depending on how the competitions run. I know that most places have like a team of readers first, but I just can't resist it. I was thinking before um, I was rereading Kirsty Logan. And like if Kirsty Logan is ever judging a competition, I would love like to get my writing in front of her because I just adore her work so much. Which is strange, really, because then like if you get rejected from it or they don't like it, it's going to be extra painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's too tempting. I think yeah. for me, the judge and the prize are like the main things I'm looking at when I enter. Do you also use them for prompts and deadlines to sort of kind of spur things on or is it only ever really to win that competition or put your work in front of people? No, I think prompts is a really key one for me. I'm thinking back to um, when Janice Literary did their competition 
which I also won. I'm sorry to sound like <laughs> <laughs> like I love myself, <laughs> but I did. Um, because the theme was the dark, wild sea, and I immediately went, ooh, that really speaks to me. And then I started like getting handily. I'd just done a course on folklore and I'd come up with this really short piece about like a crab witch type thing. And so it was just one of those times where it all fell together. Um, I really like themes. I really like prompts because I'm not the kind of flash fiction writer that often just gets an idea out of thin air or when right. it comes into my head. So if I see a prompt, and I'm particularly drawn to it, then I find that really helps me to like generate ideas and stories that wouldn't have come about otherwise. So like with the Janus literary one, The Dark Wild Sea, I actually think having that prompt made my story a lot better than if I'd just written a story on my own, because every time I edited it, I kept thinking, but is this dark? And then the next time I'd go, is this wild? And then I go, is there enough sea in here? But I was literally checking every paragraph to see if there was some like dark, wild sea imagery. And I ended up with like what I think is one of my strongest stories. Whereas if I hadn't had that theme in mind, I might have just left it as quite an unlayered piece. And did the deadline help with that as well? Was it a short deadline or? Ooh, I can't remember. I don't know how I feel about deadlines really because I write quite quickly. But then I know for some other people, a story just needs to take as long as it takes. Like I think when Marissa Hoffman won Bath, I'm sure she said she'd been working on that story for a year. Wow. Okay. So for me, I'm neither here nor there, but I do have some writing pals they're not so keen on putting their work out there and I'm like well come on you know what's it for what's it for why are you just keeping it to yourself here's this yeah. and here's this competition I just send like stupid memes and like little things saying like come on get your writing mm -hmm. out there so I think deadlines are useful for that it sometimes are a little bit frustrating like if I wanted to hit something and then like life has got in the way but I think most competitions run in such a way that the deadlines are pretty clear even you know from the start of the year if you go and look in january a lot of websites have their deadlines up already moving on to judging competitions we're going to look at two pieces you selected as winners recently the first is from matt kendrick which won in 2020. can you give us a little insight into how you came to select this piece was there a theme or a prompt i actually set the theme for that competition and the theme was abandoned there was quite a few that I liked and the one that I placed third was quite like a traditional narrative um, to do with abandonment, but it was really beautifully written. It was quite like a circular piece about a person being abandoned. Second place was quite a fractured piece, quite experimental, and that drew me to it. Um, but the piece I chose, it was The Horse That Killed Her by Matt Kendrick. Um, what happened was I read it and then I got to the end and I started laughing because I thought, what? I was like, what's just happened in this story? And I felt like I'd been tricked, but in like a nice way. When I read, I'm pretty dense as a person and like I only ever see things on the surface level. So like if there's a film with a big twist at the end and everyone goes, oh, I saw that coming. And I'm the one sitting there going, no, it wasn't a twist. It was all there. It was all laid out for me to see. I just didn't see it. 
I do like stories that like waffle on and have like a zillion commas in them. But this mm. is all quite, quite like sharp and short, but it was definitely the sort of the canniness of it. Is that the right mm. word? Like, I just thought that's so clever as well as being beautifully written, as well as having a really strong voice. This is Gaynor's reading of It Was the Horse That Killed Her by Matt Kendrick. Matt is a writer, editor and teacher based in the East Midlands. His short fiction has appeared in numerous lit mags online and has been placed or listed in various writing competitions. As a freelance editor, he offers editorial services via his website. He also runs a range of courses and workshops. For more details, visit mattkendrick.co.uk. Ambulance outside old lady's house. It's blue light whirligigs round. Paramedics in and out. Old lady on a stretcher, covered by a crochet blanket. Squares of colour, her knotted fingers stitched together that'll no longer keep her warm. Second time in a month, we've had the sirens down here. Before, it was the rosers. Old lady twitched her living room curtains as they knee-gnawed past. She didn't get out much, so it must have been nice when a slice of excitement came to her. The rosers were headed for Mr MacDonald's farm. Gossip afterwards. A cattle rustler was on the prowl. As the ambulance drives off, Ma shakes her head and says she hopes the old lady had a peaceful death. Wouldn't hurt a fly, that one. Asks if we should have done more to keep an eye on her, since she was always keeping an eye on us. I remember sitting out front catching spiders in a jar, six of them in there when old lady wheezed towards me, snatched away my prize. Another time, I shot a spuggy out a tree and she took it in her hands like it was a piece of rarest china. Didn't speak much. Perhaps she'd forgotten how, since she was always by herself. Ma says she had a husband once, children who'd moved away, friends turned to dust. A couple of months back, we saw her outside and Ma said hello. Old lady choked on her words. The way she doubled over reminded me of a fur-balling cat. When the dog escaped, me and Ma went out, yelling for that little scamp with his long tail and stubby ears. Returned to find old lady standing with the collar in her hands. I took it from her, tried to say thank you. She backed away as if she couldn't stand my sadness bundled up with her own. I wonder what'll happen now, says Ma. She didn't have any relatives left. No friends. No one apart from that goddamn goat. The goat is a surly slobberer, tethered in the back garden, slowly chewing the grass in that way goats do. I tell Ma someone should go check he's all right and Ma agrees, so I head across the road. I see Mr MacDonald outside, who tells me the rustler is back. A horse this time. The ruddy face of him as he spits his anger on the ground. The garden, when I get there, doesn't look like it has seen a goat for weeks. There's a cow pat flattening a tuft of knee-high grass, and a horseshoe, and a fox has been at the bins, scattered bones and feathers in an arc. I peer in through old lady's kitchen window, like I did the day she filched my jam jar spiders. I shiver as I remember how she pinched one by its feathery stiletto leg and lowered it into her waiting mouth. The next competition winner is by Rosie Garland from Flash 500. Why was this particular piece chosen over all the others? So I think for this one, what I will say is the standard was incredibly high. 
when I was given, I'm sure it was for the retreat rest one as well. It's just my brain doesn't, you know, go that far back. I just don't remember. But the standard was so high. And I remember I first read through the stories, how there was maybe 30 to 50, I can't remember. And I just thought, how am I going to choose? And there was another piece that really stood out to me. I'm I'm trying not to say about the story specifically because these people might be, you know, staying anonymous and trying to go and publish them somewhere. There was another piece that was really odd and stood out to me. Um, It was sort of like a modern parable. And then there was lots of pieces that had all gone on a similar theme. There was one piece that was really, really dark and brutal. And I was just like, I was honestly getting in a bit of a pickle. I was thinking, oh, my days, I've got to pick three out of these. And I think that's something to bear in mind that once you do hit a long list or a short list for a competition, your story's good. And then it just boils down to whoever's judging on the day. So what happened with this one is I felt like this story was meant to find me because it is so much my cup of tea. I like stories that start off, everything's totally normal. And then it all just goes weird. So I was like, okay, here's this piece. And I didn't really register the title. I was like, here's this piece. Oh, it's a sunny day. You know, we're going for a swim and going for a picnic. Where's this going to go? And then at the end, I started laughing again. It's not a funny story. I think that's just my reaction to anything shocking. And I thought, what did I just read? And then I read it again straight away, another two or three times. And I was like, I literally don't know what's happened in this story or what it's about, but I just absolutely love it. I actually like that it wasn't tied up and that it's open to interpretation. And then what happened was when I I found out that Rosie Garland wrote it, and I actually know Rosie, and I could ask her, I'm sure I could ask her, what's the story all about? But I actually don't want to, because part of the appeal for me is that Some days I think it's about menopause. Some days I think it's death. Some days I think it's illness. Each time I read it, I get like a weird different vibe from it. And that's hard. A lot of my flash fiction actually doesn't have layers. And Mm -hmm. I realize that that's why I often stall at long lists or not even getting on long lists. And then when I look back at a piece and I think, yeah, it was nicely written, but there's no depth to it. Um, in fact, I was going to submit for your last book call out. It was like the folklore and fairy folklore, yeah. Thing, yeah. But the piece I'd written, even though I thought it was really great, there was just nothing to it. So when you're judging that's something or when you're entering competitions, I would say that's something to really look out for. Is it going to stand up to repeated readings? Is it open to interpretation? So for me, it just made this piece really successful. It's fabulous. So it's called well the first time I read it I just thought this could be a story about swimming but now when I read it I always go this could be a story about swimming because with the idea being it could also be about all these other things and I'm so glad Rosie has agreed to read it because she's a stunning performer this is Rosie Garland reading her competition winning piece this could be a story about swimming Rosie writes long and short fiction, poetry, and sings with post-punk band The March Violets. Her poetry collection, What Girls Do in the Dark, was shortlisted for the Polari Prize 2021 and is available via the publisher Nine Arches Press and Audible. For more details, visit rosiegarland.com. This could be a story about swimming. 
by Rosie Garland. Such a hot day, one of those rare, perfect days of summer. Your parents drowsy with sandwiches, stretched out in the collapsible chairs Dad wrestled out of the car. Your little brother curling in your mother's lap, and although she says he's far too old to be such a baby, her arms grip him tight. And you, stepping into the river, chill sharpening your breath to a point. Don't be long, sweetie, your mother is calling, eyes half closed against the glare. Don't go far, cries your father. You wave, inviting him in. In a moment, he says, voice muffled, eyelids flopping. You've never understood how he can fall asleep so fast. The water is delicious, your limbs sliding without effort. Fish shimmering, mosquitoes whining, trees leaning over the shadows under their branches, and you are swimming now, easy and strong, breath glittering in your lungs. You have never felt so alive, ripple-thighed and powering the weight of yourself forwards, and although you know he won't be there, you pause to see if your father is following. The lowering sun is blurring your vision. That might be your brother on the bank, jumping and waving his hands, but he's too tall and alone. You wonder where everything has gone. Your parents, the chairs, the picnic. You don't know what possessed you to leave and fight to turn around, but the current punches you in the chest and it's only now you're trying to go back, you realise the river has taken you over, shoving you onwards. Spiralling further and further downstream, away and further away, you tell yourself you're the strongest swimmer in your class. Try to believe it, although the drone of insects is now loud enough to drown out thought. You are fighting and losing, fighting and losing, your feet slipping and tearing on the rocks, grappling for each rattling, wheezing breath, looking at your arms and legs and wondering where the old woman came from and why you are wearing her body. While ahead, the river is boiling as it vanishes over the falls. Moving on to future projects, you're going to be judging for Reflex in November. Can you give us some details about that competition? Oh, I'm so excited. So I'm also sad that it's going to be the last ever Reflex Flash Fiction competition because it's been a huge part of the Flash scene. And I think I've entered about 80% of the competitions. Yeah. And if I had known this was going to be the last one, I would have liked to enter it rather than mm. it. But I will take my responsibility seriously. So Reflex, you can pay what you can afford to enter, which is really nice. And it has whopping prize money. And if you're longlisted, you also get publication in a print anthology, which is really nice. I think it's 180 words to 360 words. Really quite, you know, really concise stories up to something with a little bit more room. 
Um, I'm really excited because it's like open genre and they tend to publish like a really wide range of flash and you know some really gorgeous pieces have come out of reflex in the years and I just hope that loads and loads of people enter because it's mm. like just you know throw your story and it's the end of the year give it one last shot and um, you've got till the 30th of November I feel like because I'm quite vocal about things that I like to read that I think people might think oh Gaina likes horror Gaina likes weird let's all throw our weird dark horror stuff but I actually like a huge variety of flash and the other thing is that I'm really ethical as a judge and so I won't just be looking at sort of the content and what your story is about I'll also be looking at well how you know how well written is it what's the language like I remember being a first reader for a competition once and a story came through about baseball I did not understand one word about baseball but it was so well written that I mm. put it through to the next round because I could see, you know, the volume in the way it had been written. And the other thing is, is that even though my personal preference for like what I'm reading might be darker and stranger, I like so many different things. I like a lot of quiet stories as well. When I think back to when I was reading for Ellipsis way back mm. in the day, and um, my favorite story was, it was called Heard, as in Stay Together. And it's by Eilish, or Eilish, I'm really sorry if I'm not saying that right. Yeah, I know which one you mean, yeah. And it's just about a cow giving birth in a field yeah. while a woman arranged some flowers. And it's beautiful and just really sort of quiet. And mm. another um, flash fiction writer I really like is Paul Thompson. And he does write some stuff that's really strange. But I wrote, really like this story of his, which is about someone carrying someone in a field full of pylons. And it's like, it's just beautiful. So I, I'm hoping that people don't just like think that I'm going to go for what my personal taste is. Like, obviously, as a judge, that is going to come into it to some extent. But I'm going to just be really looking for what's well written, what's engaging me. Um, some people have asked about titles and like, I honestly titles are so hard for me that I would never like downgrade a story because of its title because mm. mine are just appalling like if I was writing a story about a cat it would be called a cat <laughs> <laughs> like, that's no joke mm. so I think yes your title might be important to catch the eye in some way but it's certainly like a nice title is nice do you know what I mean but I sort of have empathy with people that can't do good titles um, and other stuff like, you know, little things like little slips of grammar and like little typos and things like that. I don't really think they come into play either. Do mm. you? No, not really. We're all yeah. human and we all do it. The only thing I would say is I just like to feel something when I read a story, but that can be sad, scared, happy, full of wonder or chill. You know, I just want to I just have to go with that gut feeling when I read a story and see what it makes me feel you know, confusion, even. Mm. <laughs> Just want to feel something, you know. Some, yeah. yeah, but it's like, um, but I won't know what it is until I see it. You can't tailor a story to me because I, I won't know what it is mm. until I look at it, you know. I will know it when I see it, but until then it doesn't exist. It's Schrodinger's flash. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what kind of success rate did you used to have when you did enter competitions? 
a really tiny success rate because it's actually it's genuinely quite a hard thing to win a writing competition mm. i think that people lose sight of that sometimes like if you've been longlisted or shortlisted or never mind placed in a competition it's a big achievement but also the act of just entering your writing into the world is a big achievement I feel like I've talked a lot about my past and my anxiety disorder, but that is literally what brought me to writing because I'd had such a terrible um, generalized anxiety disorder that everything terrified me. So when I was starting to recover from it, I almost thought, what's the most frightening thing I can do? It's write whatever's in my head and put it out in the world where everyone can read mm. it. And it was for me, it was a process of giving up control and I refused to use a pen name because that would have let the anxiety win. So I can talk about it that glibly now because it's been years, but it really was incredibly traumatic. And the first thing I ever had published, not in a competition, you know, it was an ellipsis scene and it was about having an anxiety disorder. Mm. And I emailed it to my therapist and she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, I'm so proud of me. <laughs> um, so I think, then going for competitions was the next level because it was well not only am i going to put this terrifying thing out there but now i'm going to ask to be judged, judged as well. on it yeah yeah and i have mixed feelings about the word resilience because i think you know do i need to be resilient or or does the world need to be a little bit kinder to me but i do think for me entering writing competitions and finding the writing community in this way helped and then the lows are quite low, but then the highs are so high. And like, it's going to sound really cheesy then. It's like the people you meet along the way, but you know, it really is. I become part of this little flash fiction community and entering competitions has connected me with all those mm. people because I don't just write flash. I read it, you know? So then I'm like looking, um, what's one, you know, Molotov Litzine, one of my favorite publications. Yeah. Read the stories. I think, oh my God, this writer is incredible. I need to read everything they've ever written. And I also think it's really helped me to just to develop my craft as well as my resilience because I'm always thinking then, oh yeah, this piece is fine, but how to make it even better, how to make it better, how to reach those top players. And I think now it's not like I can whiz off a bit of flash and it's fantastic, but because I've been consistently writing for i mean since 2018 god is it four mm. years it'd be four or five years and so my craft is literally just that much better and this is really sad but i'm going to tell you now but i just discovered there's a thing on microsoft word called editor and you click on it and it gives you a percentage as to like how good you're writing really? <laughs> <laughs> not that i'm needy and so I clicked on it for my novel, which I've been slogging over, and it gave me 99%. Wow. And I was like, hello. Now, it would not be. What's the 1% the title? <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't look. But I, I just know that consistently writing, mm. practicing, and reading has brought me to that level. There's no way the gainer of four years ago could have written stuff. I don't think I'm like the big cheese or anything but mm. it is like a lot better now than it used Flexing to the muscles isn't it it's just it's just exercise isn't it it's Flexing just... the muscles yeah and the other thing for me coming back to anxiety is i've written some quite out there stuff mm. like my neighbor asked to read my book the other day 
And in my head, I was thinking, no, because someone someone breastfeeds a sheep in it. Like, you can't just give that. You can't just give that to the neighbour. Especially knowing that you've written it. You can't even palm it off and say, it's a really good book I've read, or you've got a pen name. Yeah. I know, but there's a reason that that happens in the story. And like, it's a really like affecting piece, I think, and a really strong image. But that stuff like um like the thing between your legs, which I recorded for this, that was just a pure moment of gain in this where I was like, I'm not gonna censor myself, I'm not gonna feel anxious, I'm gonna write this really rude story. Because this has been my experience of like growing up as a as a girl and a woman, whatever. I was like, I'm just gonna put it all out there. And oh. then I did, and then oh my god, I read it at a spoken word night and everyone was in stitches. And I thought, hey, this is a funny story. Mm. And then when I won the Martin Crawford Award, nobody laughed. Oh, no. <laughs> Every, I read it. I was in Belfast. It was a gorgeous event. But I was in a room full of people and you could have heard a pin drop. And I was like, wow, the fact that people are having such a different reaction to what I expected, you know, says something about it. So, yeah. And like those experiences as well, like, okay, fair dues, that was that was from winning a competition that I got to do that. We have to understand that I'd just been home in my pajamas with an anxiety disorder, a horrible pregnancy, and then postnatal depression. And then suddenly I was like on a plane to Belfast going, uh, I've won a competition. And I remember texting Paul going, we're in a little room and there's wine and cheese. As if like... <laughs> and I was like, am I special? I don't mm -hmm. understand like how this is part of my life. Um, and those sorts of opportunities they just wouldn't have come if I hadn't been doing what I've been doing in the flash fiction world and being asked to do spoken word stuff as well. Mm. But I can say that I've performed at Edinburgh Fringe. I never would have thought that in my life. Never, ever. And I'm so proud like of what I've achieved and also baffled yeah. I've achieved. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good run though, isn't it? I mean, like you say, it's only been sort of four or five years, hasn't it? So yeah. it's quite a lot of achievements and i can't express how hard i work on my writing and not that other people don't but it's just i think that's what people don't see and like like if you read my bio and it sounds fancy and like oh she's won this she's won this oh and i'm like oh my god i worked so hard though mm. and like this novel that i'm writing now i have wanted to quit so many times but i just won't so i'll give myself three years and if it's not done by then it ain't getting done so what do you do then with the writing? Do you, have you got a routine and you do so many hours per day? Or I have a zero hours job and I have a freelance job and then I have other bits and bobs that I do, like running workshops. Routine just does not work for me. And what I found as well is I really need time to wallow when mm. it's going wrong. Like I could force myself, like, it's going to be okay. Mm. Like typing and crying, it's just not my style. So when my novel really went wrong in the spring, I took two months off because I needed, I just needed that time. And then in May, I started again and it's going, touch wood, it's going so well now. And I think if I'd have ploughed through, I wouldn't be in this position. Yeah. I need you then hated it or something or? Yeah. Yeah. So what what can you tell us what stage it's at the minute? You've you've done a first draft, second draft. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's basically the same characters, the same names, and the same hook and the same setting. And I'm now on the fourth version with a completely different plot. But I think that this is the one. I was in the shower, typical writer moment. 
and I just saw it all like a mm-hmm. film it all fell into place and I thought this is what it needs to be about so it's about a woman and her daughter with sort of a troubled past and they move to a coastal town where they both start to fall apart and their relationships breaks down so that's that's sort of what it's always been but then I really feel like this is the one and um, I'm being mentored by Matt Kendrick I was really lucky to get a place on his mentoring and he spends half of every session going you can write Gaynor you can write you're a good writer you're fine um and he's like constantly building me up um because it's hard you know and yeah I'm just trying I'm going I'm going I'm not going to quit I'm going to get this draft done by Christmas and then I'm going to spend a few months tinkering about with it before I see if my agent likes this version so I think we'll hear your competition winning piece. You were just going to say, we'll hear the thing between your legs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. That's it what Jack Parsons said. You're did it. Like gain up on stage to oh, show no. the thing between her legs. <laughs> Everyone just laughed and I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Oh. <laughs> but you see, I can't do titles. I just do literal titles, you know, is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the thing between your legs. Mother always told us to refer to that place as the thing between your legs. We were never to say vagina in front of father or our one lone brother. Mother kept her legs crossed, always at the ankle, never at the knee. But there were six of us plus the dead baby, so we knew she had opened them up plenty. Mother told us, when you are married, you may call it your pleasure. Though one evening, when we'd conspired to serve her double measures of sweet port and lemon, she cackled and told us, though it remains to be seen whether the name will fit the man. We gathered in our bed-crammed room with a worn copy of Forever and snorted at the penis named Ralph. We took turns naming our own parts, Beryl, Agnes, whatever gave us the biggest laugh. Then we'd periodically ask Mother how her friend Beryl was, and much confusion ripple across her face as she repeated the name, trying to put her finger on who we could be talking about. We took tampons out of packets, devoured the instructions, then wondered about our collective hymen. Whenever our lone brother had a friend round, we would dare each other to venture into the room. Whoever said, hi men, without laughing, won the biggest cocoa that night. In our science books, we labelled vulva, ovaries and labia, as we watched the boys blush over the Bunsen burners, for once keeping their vulgar desk carvings to themselves. But the boys forgot, as boys can forget, to be coy. And soon they told us, close your legs, you stink of fish, and laughed even as they collected their detention slips. We smelled our tuna sandwiches in the lunch hall and shook our heads. We never thought to touch the place between our legs. But in the months after Shauna shaved her head and wore dungarees to the sixth form disco, we learned a lot. She told us we should feel wet or else we should say no, keep our legs closed. But that when we met the right person, when we opened our legs in the right way, it was glorious. And the taste, she said, the taste. We didn't know what to have a taste. We chose the smallest teaspoons, the ones with a chipped picture of Charles and Diana on and chased each other, daring but not quite daring to do it. Mother came in with the noise and we we pretended we were playing the spoons on our bare knees like a couple of old-time cartoon characters. Mother only shook her head and left us to it. 
On the day that Mother found Shauna's box of things, they squared up to each other in the living room while we watched between the banisters. They yelled in hushed tones lest Father should hear about things we didn't understand, dental dams and mouthwash. We thought perhaps Shauna was getting new teeth done. I will have to wait a long time to be a grandmother then, our mother wailed. And then we understood. But she didn't have to wait long at all. Not with five daughters in a quiet town. Over the years, four of us gave birth, some through our stomachs, some through the thing between our legs. When it was my turn, I asked for a mirror and watched as a bloody and wrinkled walnut appeared from inside me, sliding out into the world. I asked them not to let me know. I wanted to see for myself. I gently parted her knees as she wailed at my chest and I saw it and I held her close. I put her legs back together and marvelled and despaired at everything she had yet to come. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate the time and the answers, and I hope that everybody's listening gets something out of it. I hope so. And if they want to ask me anything, they can always just email me or tweet me. Is that a verb? Yeah, I think so. I think you can get away with tweeting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tweet me, contact me, whatever. If you want to ask anything, then... And if I can help, then I will. Just give me a shout. Brilliant. And best of luck with your novel. So I look forward to seeing that in Waterstones. I just rolled my eyes then. In this <laughs> but you, can't, you can't hear yeah. the podcast, but I just went, oh. Yeah. Best of luck, man. I appreciate I think it's going to be brilliant, I'm sure. Uh, thanks. <laughs> faith. A bit of faith. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can discover more about Lipsis Scene via our website, lipsisscene.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, sharing, or adding a review. You can also support this podcast by visiting our website and purchasing a zine or back issue. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to having you here for future episodes. <laughs>